Gimme Shelter is supported by the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Welcome everyone to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Manuela Tobias, housing reporter for CalMatters. And I am Liam Dillon, and I write about housing affordability for the Los Angeles Times. Today, we're presenting you with the most exciting Gimme Shelter episode of 2022. We're taking the most popular segment in all of California housing podcastry and turning it into our entire show. What is it, Liam? It's the avocado of the year. <laughs> year. That's right. We'll be crowning California's zaniest, craziest, most madcap housing story of 2022 on today's show. We will take you through our four amazing finalists, award the winner, which is also known as the golden avocado. And we'll explain why this segment has anything to do with avocados in the first place, which is a question we get often. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And we have a whole bunch of surprises in store for you, our listeners, including a surprise guest presenter who will announce Avocado of the Year slash Golden Avocado. We have a regular guest too, Liam, who is not regular. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we have a second special guest too. We'll be speaking with Angela Swartz, a reporter at The Almanac, a local newspaper in Silicon Valley. Angela covers housing drama in some of the wealthiest, most exclusive communities in the United States, which also happen to be some of the most fertile groves for housing avocados. Angela also is the one who broke the story about one of our Avocado of the Year nominees, which we'll get into shortly. But first, what's up with the avocado in the first place, Liam? The avocado of the Fortnite segment on the show where we draw our nominees preceded my time on Gimme Shelter. So, Liam, it's your turn to explain where it comes from. Well, we have to go back to the halcyon days of 2017, so long ago, when myself and former Gimme Shelter co-host Matt Levin began this podcast. Matt and I wanted a quick and fun way to recognize the crazy housing stories you'd see pop up all over the place. Like, you know, when the Cheesecake Factory went on a nationwide rent strike or when L.A. sheriff compared the supposed folly of a new homeless housing development to the war in Iraq. Okay, but why avocados? So around the time when we started, an Australian real estate mogul did an interview where he talked about how tired he was about hearing sob stories from millennials who couldn't afford to buy a house. He said the real problem wasn't a historic lack of housing supply, a dearth of public funding and subsidies for low and middle class housing, or increasing corporate speculation in the real estate market. Okay, so what was it? Avocado toast. Ah. (laughs) Yeah, so his opinion was that millennials couldn't afford homes because they were spending all their money on avocado toast at brunch. Wow. And since, of course, this is true, uh, we decided to call our crazy housing segment The avocado of the fortnight. Makes sense. And since we've begun, we have had some extremely ripe avocados. Yeah, why don't you run down some of our previous avocado of the year winners? Well, we had the woman at a public meeting in Berkeley who protested a proposed housing project by brandishing a zucchini from her garden, (laughs) saying that the zucchini would never have gotten the sun it needed to live if the housing development had been built and shaded her garden. That is a real all-timer, so good that the segment almost became the zucchini of the Fortnite. (laughs) That would have required even more explaining. (laughs) There was also the San Diego church thwarted in its attempt to build affordable housing by city ordinance that required it to have a parking lot with enough spaces based on square foot of its pew space. Mm. 
And we cannot forget last year's winner, Dormzilla. The proposed 4,500 student dorm at UC Santa Barbara, where nearly all the rooms would have been without windows. Yeah, that's truly amazing stuff. Fortunately, we have some great contenders for the golden avocado throne in 2022. Let's start counting them down. Why don't we begin with the one in your old stomping grounds, Manuela? Yes. Back in the spring, we noticed an ad campaign in Fresno where I used to work. Mayor Jerry Dyer wanted to address the city's low self-esteem, so he put up banners in some of Fresno's highly trafficked areas, and one of them caught our eye. What did the banner say? It read, quote, Fresno has the hottest real estate market in the U.S. and attributed it to the L.A. Times. You know, it's really funny that the banner should say that because I work for the L.A. Times. And in fact, I wrote the story in question. Maybe you're the avocado of the year, Liam. (laughs) I guess we'll find out soon enough. Uh, So the real avocado-y element of this story was that my story was actually about how soaring price increases in Fresno are making it a lot harder for longtime residents to afford a place to live, which, you know, probably isn't something you'd want to brag about on a street banner. But they did. And you spoke with some actual Fresnans about this banner. I did. Here's Brianna Buchers, who spent five months searching for a place to live in Fresno with her partner to cut down their commute from the neighboring Visalia and eventually settled on a one-bedroom apartment for $1,700. She was working at a mobile coffee truck parked right across from the banner. People are barely making like $16 an hour, like working part-time, you know, and they have to you know, pay for their food, pay for their gas, you know, they have to, and then they're over here paying $1,600, $1,700 for a one-bedroom apartment. It's hard. A strong nominee to start things out. All right, where are we going next? It is to the very wealthy Silicon Valley town of Woodside. Last year, state lawmakers passed a law that says every community in the state has to allow duplexes or fourplexes on lots previously set aside for only single-family homes. This was a huge symbolic change to the idea of the California dream, which had been neighborhoods and subdivisions of only single-family homes with yards in front and barbecues in back. By some estimates, around three-quarters of the residentially zoned land in the state had only allowed single-family homes to be built. And some places didn't like this change. No, they really didn't. Some try to take advantage of some loopholes in the law to try to block it from taking effect in their communities. And thanks to Angela Swartz, who broke the story in the Almanac, we know that Woodside was among the most brazen. Yeah, so just some context on Woodside for listeners. The town of 5500 is one of the most wealthy in California and an enclave for tech titans. Oracle founder Larry Ellison reportedly spent $200 million building a Japanese-style 16th-century imperial palace across 23 acres in Woodside. One day we'll visit, Liam. (laughs) And while imperial palaces may be allowed under Woodside's zoning code, they didn't (laughs) want duplexes. So to stop this, the town declared itself a habitat for potentially endangered mountain lions. You know, there's so many amazing things about this story. The first is that under the definition of mountain lion habitat, and hopefully you can hear my air quotes, uh, that Woodside was using all of coastal California south of San Francisco, including the entirety of Los Angeles, Orange, and San Diego counties, would be mountain lion habitats. Right. I remember talking about how you were potentially standing in mountain lion habitat right now, Liam. (laughs) 
Watch out, child. <laughs> okay. And then, and then second, even Cougar fans hated this idea. You know, when I was writing about this uh, issue in Woodside, I spoke with Josh Rosenau, a conservation advocate for the Mountain Lion Foundation. And Josh told me that the blanket prohibitions against growth in already developed areas aren't required by the safe endangered species laws and don't actually protect pumas. Quote, Concern for mountain lions is not what's driving that policy because it's not what any mountain lion expert would recommend doing, Rosenal told me. Love it. So Woodside's Cougar Town saga ended after less than a week of naming and shaming, most notably from California Attorney General Rob Bonta. His housing strike force, which issued a letter telling the town its rules were against the law and that they needed to allow duplexes. Shortly after, Woodside backed down, but that story has lived on. Yes, really remarkable stuff here. And we're going to be sticking in Silicon Valley for the next nominee. Yeah, this one in Atherton, a community of about 7,000 people where the median home value is a whopping $8 million. How many of these places are there in Silicon Valley? Apparently infinite, Liam. Yeah, okay. And this one's about one of Atherton's most famous residents. Yes, Mark Andreessen is a venture capital king and has had a lot of opinions about building housing. Indeed. In fact, in April 2020, Andreessen published a brief essay that essentially laid all of America's problems in healthcare, education, and of course housing to a lack of building. The essay was titled simply, It's Time to Build. Clear pro-building stance here. Except... Here we go. So when Atherton was considering a plan for allowing more building, Andreessen and his wife sent an email public comment about it, the subject line, immensely against multifamily development. Love your all caps voice, Liam. (laughs) Yes, so I try, I try. Here's some more from that email and see if you can identify the all caps. Quote, I am writing this letter to communicate our immense objection to the creation of multifamily overlay zones in Atherton. Please immediately remove all multifamily overlay zoning projects from the housing (laughs) element, which will be submitted to the state in July. They will massively decrease our home values, the quality of life of ourselves and our neighbors, and immensely increase the noise, pollution, and traffic. Uh, You need some tea for your all-caps voice, Liam. (laughs) Um, This one, thanks to Jerusalem Demas at The Atlantic, uh, who uncovered those emails through public records. Mm -hmm. Last but definitely not least, and we're going to go to Berkeley for this one. Yeah. Earlier this year, the result of a longstanding lawsuit against the University of Berkeley's expansion plans came to fruition. Neighbors surrounding the school had sued, claiming that the school's proposal to increase its enrollment was harming traffic, noise, housing prices, and the natural environment. And a judge decided to agree with them, essentially contending that under California environmental laws, students could be considered pollution. Students as pollution. Uh, As Liam says, that's muy avocado. Muy indeed. And (laughs) as a result of this ruling, Berkeley officials said they would have to cut incoming enrollment by 3,000 students. After heaps of scorn, which is a common theme for our biggest avocados, the state legislature decided to weigh in. They declared the situation intolerable and passed a law nullifying the court ruling. The school was then allowed to admit all the students it had planned. We did an entire episode on this issue earlier this year, including an interview with Phil Bakavoy, one of the Berkeley neighbors who sued, and of course, a Berkeley grad himself. We also did another episode two weeks ago, summing up the housing crisis and why lawsuits like this one matter a lot to students who are really struggling with the price of housing. 
Right, and that is the end of our strong list of avocado contenders. Thank you to everyone who voted in our online poll to help choose the winner. Yeah, thank you all for participating. And with that, let's go to our special secret guest presenter who will tell the world <laughs> who is the avocado of the year in 2022. Hi, I'm California Attorney General Rob Bonta. People may know that I'm considered California's top law enforcement official, but it's less known that I'm also one of the state's top avocado connoisseurs, especially when it comes to wacky housing stories. I'm here to announce Gimme Shelter's 2022 Avocado of the Year. It's the town of Woodside for declaring the entire community a mountain lion habitat so that people couldn't build duplexes. We appreciate that Woodside backed down on its anti-duplex plan after my housing strike force warned that what they were doing was against the law. Let this be a warning for 2023. We at the Department of Justice are looking forward to turning some of next year's housing avocados into guacamole as well. Thank you to AG Bonta for that announcement and congrats to Woodside for its honor and really to all our nominees for lightening our lives every single fortnight. And now let's talk with Angela, who will enlighten us on the nitty-gritty of housing in the newly crowned Cougar Town and the many other wealthy enclaves in the Silicon Valley. In our conversation, we discuss some of the issues that we talk about all the time on this podcast. How wealthy and powerful residents often shape debates over housing, how resident concerns about traffic and community character can stand side by side with statements about not wanting less wealthy people to live in a town, and how efforts to stop development can be explicit or instead rely on bureaucratic loopholes. We are here with Angela Swartz. She's a reporter at the Almanac newspaper in Silicon Valley. Angela, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Woodside and its mountain lions were just named 2022's Avocado of the Year. You know, there's a good chance the world would not know of Woodside's gambit without your reporting. So we want to know how you first came across this story. Yeah, so I think I was looking at one of their meeting agendas and I saw something about them supporting, I think it was one of those ballot initiatives for local control. And so it's like, oh, that's mm -hmm. interesting. And then someone else was like, well, there's something more interesting on their agenda. And it's that they're trying to mm. avoid SB9 with uh, saying that they're in mountain lion habitat. So yeah, that's how I first found out about it. And I talked to my editor and she's like, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Right. <laughs> it's not something that these towns do every day. So SB9, that was a law that allowed for duplexes in single family zone neighborhoods. So like, what was your reaction when you started talking to people about what they were actually planning on doing? I mean, I wasn't particularly surprised because these are people who definitely don't want their neighborhoods to change. They haven't really changed in a while. Like the state mandates in the past didn't really require them to build much housing. So they haven't built much housing. Mm -hmm. Like I think Woodside's last state mandate required them to build like something like 60 units and now it's like over 300. And they're just not used to things changing. And like they also are sort of in the wooey which is like the wildland urban interface, which means like the areas are pretty hilly, yes, the yes, roads yes. are windy. So, you know, it is like there are some legitimate concerns about building. I don't know to the extent of which their concerns are like 
super legitimate. Like you can't build anything in their mind. Right, right. So yeah, I wasn't super surprised. There were definitely like a couple of council members who were like, we should not be doing this. This is kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like every single council member had that same opinion. There were definitely residents who were super thrilled that like there was like a loophole found apparently. <laughs> right, right. And then I also cover Portola Valley, which is a town that's really similar to Woodside right next door. They also have like maybe like four or 5,000 residents. And their residents were also like, wait, can we do that too? (laughs) (laughs) And then there was, I mean, everyone kind of picked up the story and it really went national. How did you react to that? That was kind of weird (laughs) because like these towns are definitely very wealthy. Like I cover Atherton, Portola Valley and Woodside and Atherton like is the wealthiest zip code in the U.S. (laughs) Steph Curry lives there. Floyd Mays lives there. Like, Google CEOs have lived there. Sheryl Sandberg lived there. So, like, it's sort of weird because they remain very quiet. But now that there's this chance that they could have to see change, like, I think they're willing to do, like, some kind of wild things to to make it so it doesn't happen. So, like, yeah, I was surprised because people don't really pay attention to, to Woodside or Portola Valley or Atherton. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about what it's like to cover these towns? We know... Larry Ellison built a 16th century imperial palace. Mark Andreessen lives there. Can you tell us more about just what it feels like to cover these places? I think they're very like private people for the most part. And so it can make it a little trickier to have people want to talk to me. But then at the same time, like, I don't know, they have this sense of like, there's rural character to their towns. So it's been really interesting to go from like covering them in a way of like not really much is happening there to like now there's all these state housing mandates and they're really freaking out and they're feeling threatened that like they're going to lose that sense of rural character that they're used to. And I think there's also sort of a sense of like we're rich, so we don't really have to Uh build our fair share of housing. And that's not really happening anymore because they're not letting people off the hook as much as they used to like in the past woodside actually traded or it annexed some of its land to redwood city which is neighboring to woodside Mm. so they didn't have to build some of the housing and they used to be able to like trade units you know interesting Mm -hmm. yeah so like they have a community college and on the community college they're like okay part of this land is going to go to redwood city so they can build some staff housing but we're not going to do it and i mean so to a certain extent i can see how it's difficult for them too and like They have small staffs and they are having to plan for much more housing than they're used to. But yeah, it's been interesting also seeing the emphasis on like, okay, I don't know if you're seeing this in like the cities that you covered, like we want to build granny units instead or ADUs. Right, right, right. Casitas, yeah. Yeah. And there's also a sense of like, well, how are those actually going to be affordable? Because like you go on Craigslist and it's like they're listed for like $45. (laughs) $100, $6,000. And they're they're including them in their plans as like affordable, low-income units. Right. But are they actually going to be? And then there's people using them as offices. And so yeah. there's all this uncertainty of like, are those actually going to be able to count? And I think the state is not buying that they will actually be used for housing. I mean, that was also an argument, right, that came out when the duplex law was so controversial because people were saying, well, these units already aren't affordable. Why would people now be able to afford it? Just like the ADU argument yeah, that you're making. Yeah, or like the concern about multifamily and saying like, well, it's going to cause traffic. There are some council members who have acknowledged like, well, maybe traffic would actually be worse if like all of these new people are moving in in a spread out manner rather than in like one centralized location. I mean, 
I guess in terms of like your question about like what it's like to have these towns, it's been like super interesting the last year itself. Like not only was there the mountain lion ordinance, like in Portola Valley, there's been a lot of lawsuits. There was a lawsuit against the town. The mayor said that people were coming up to him and saying like, if you don't make this housing element as we'd like it, we're going to like sue the town and like take all of your resources and make it so that you're bankrupt. And they sort of followed through on that. Like they sued the town earlier this year and the town ended up just settling because it was going to cost them like $200,000. So they said, okay, let's just pay 40K. Like this was for a Brown Act violation, but really it sort of came back to housing. Public public meeting violation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it sort of came back to like, these are the same people who are also doing like a huge public records request to try to like get the town to spend a lot of time to put together information on something related to housing and they knew the staff was like yeah this is basically like sinking all of our time and they know that this is sinking our resources they're doing this to punish us yeah yeah glad you brought up portilla valley because we were going to ask you about that too and as you said very economically similar to woodside and atherton and and you referenced the neighbors that were threatened with the bankrupt town with lawsuits they also plan to hire a lobbyist or your story said they plan to hire a lobbyist uh, potentially to, to lobby against approving the housing plan right I don't think they've done that yet, but they've done other things. So like for the town council race this year, they were really concerned about unseating council members who they thought were, they're not even like super supportive of housing, but they just were like, we need to follow the mandate. Right. We're going to go ahead and create a plan that actually like works and not just do all the ADUs. So this political action committee formed and they raised like $40,000 to unseat the council members. And actually, like, two out of the three people that they supported were elected to the council. Because, like, in these races, people raise, like, $2,000 for their campaign. 40 k in a, this camp type of campaign is huge. So the, the anti-growth, if you will, packs candidates won. Pretty much. Well, and I mean, so two of the three people up for re-election just, like, chose not to run. Like, they had oh, been wow. on the council for a long time, but I think part of it was also just, like, They've been getting so much pressure and like harassment to a certain extent from these people that they're like, I'm not going to run again. So the one, the mayor who did run, he was not elected. When these sorts of residents of these communities, and in some cases, some of them have, you know, nearly unlimited money uh, and power, you know, when they get involved in the housing debates, you know, how does that change the conversation? Well, I think because they have, you know, money to throw away, they in some ways can influence the discussion more than other people. Like the person who did the public records request in Portola Valley, they hired like a former um, San Jose mayor to represent them. They have connections, they have resources to try to make things the way they want to be. But I mean, at the end of the day, they all are starting to talk about the builder's remedy, like in Atherton, Portola Mm. Valley and Woodside. And so that's the ability for developers to potentially build whatever they want for cities that are out of compliance with their housing plans. And those three cities, I presume, have to have compliant plans by the end of January. Is that right? They're on that timeline? It's January 31st. Yeah. And so like they have a lot of work to do. And I don't know that these towns are going to make it. I think Portola Valley might actually be the one town that's plausibly going to get a compliant element Mm. by end of January. I think for Woodside and Atherton, it seems like kind of unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the things that are said in meetings too are like, People saying the quiet parts out loud that you wouldn't sort of expect, like, oh, there's going to be crime if we allow people who aren't, like, wealthy to move in. Yeah. Oh, low income means homeless. This happened in Atherton among consultants. Like, the consultants in town staff don't 
generally like comment back to public comment, right. but this one consultant felt the need to say, you know, we're not talking about people who make no money. We're talking about working people on the peninsula. I think low income housing, the 12 five for low income housing, it's like a family of four making 90,000. So like, right, right, right. is that a homeless person? How do you see sort of the tenor of the debates? Like what you referenced a little bit, some of it with the quiet part out loud sort of conversations, but is there like really sophisticated arguments, both kind of for and against development as well? And what a finer point on, do you think that those are in some ways kind of mask the same concerns we see everywhere about community character or parking or things like that? Yeah, I think in Portola Valley and Woodside, there is more about wildfire safety. And like they did have in 2020, these CZU lightning complex fires that came really close to the town. So like it is a legitimate concern, like that wildfire risk and like the way that these towns are set up makes sense. I think in Atherton, that's less relevant because they're like along El Camino Real, like they're right next to yeah. Facebook and major cities and whatnot. I think traffic is something that is used. Parking is a big thing that's also a place of concern. I think like, I mean, in Atherton, they overtly said in 2020, like they closed down their train station and stopped service because they said, one, like there's low ridership, but two, there was like Senate Bill 50 that was coming here from Scott Wiener. And they, they actually said out loud that could put us on the hook for building high density housing right. because that puts Atherton near public transit. So they actually got rid of the rail service because wow. of that. So like, I think there are some things that aren't as sophisticated, like they legitimately were like, we don't want to have to build high density housing. So like, let's shut down the train. But yeah, like I think wildfire is definitely something that is a legitimate concern and a little bit more sophisticated. I mean, Woodside is like a super horsey town. I think there's like 800 horses. Okay. Okay. 5,000 people. So like, it's weird. They're like, it's 30 miles south of San Francisco. So like, it's rural, but it's like right next. And these people work, like these people founded like... Yep. high-tech firms yep. and like they are responsible for the employment of a lot of people in the Bay Area. It's sort of interesting because you'll hear complaints about like we should be planning for people who live in our town not for like people who want to live mm-hmm. in our town like why are we like even in like public meetings there'll be housing advocates or people who live like in Menlo Park or neighboring towns who like will comment during the meeting and they'll be like, why is someone who doesn't live here commenting on this meeting? And I think there's sort of like a misunderstanding of like, well, this is a public meeting so anyone can comment, you know? One thing I do think about is interesting about SB9 and like what's in Portola Valley is they have gotten zero applications. Like it's been almost a year and I just checked yesterday with Woodside, zero applications. You know, part of the reason that is is because they also implemented like design standards. So like you can only build up to like, 800 square foot per unit and like no basements in Woodside. And like, that's not economically feasible. Like if you're spending three, $4 million to buy a plot of land, you're not going to build an 800 square foot unit. So it sounds like, you know, there's a way, could have been a way for if they wanted, and it sounds like maybe they're engineering this now, not to allow duplexes rather than going with a broad or a mountain lion sanctuary. Sounds like there are ways, you know, within the law potentially that could have gotten them to the same result, right? Whether it's design review or something else. Yeah. But at the same time, Woodside was sort of like, they included SB9 units in I their see. housing element because they were like, wait a second, we need a way to mm. like build housing. Yeah. Like, what are we going to do? Like our residents don't want like apartments or like larger than four units per like unit. So anyway, it was like 
it's sort of interesting as they sort of were like, wait, maybe we should lean into this a little bit more. And I know like in Portola Valley, they're sort of like, maybe we should amend those design standards to make it a little bit easier because these units could make sense for us. So, And we've definitely seen those, yeah, subtle cuts at the, um, at the law through these high standards across the state. Um, so what would you say is the effect, um, you know, of the ADU law of, of SB9, the duplex law, generally the housing element, like are the, you already said that there are no duplex applications coming in, mm-hmm. are ADUs getting built, are they actually rezoning for apartments? What is the effect? So Atherton has gotten like maybe like six applications approved for SB9. Um, there is like a big push for people to build ADUs. Mm. Like the towns are surveying people and like tell us that, or like they're, they're trying to remove some of the restrictions or like some of the fees and whatnot that make it difficult to, for residents to build ADUs. Um, so they're definitely trying to encourage that. But I think there's also some concern from like residents and outsiders that like these units will not actually be rented out at an affordable rate, if at all. I mean, in Atherton, people have talked about like, well, our housekeeper, or housekeeper, like our nanny will live in the unit, but there's not really a, like a reliable way to make sure that on someone's private property, a unit right. in the back is not just being right. used as an office or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, and that it's being rented out at a more reasonable price. So, yeah, Atherton had actually planned on um, upzoning. And I went into a meeting and, like, the city manager emailed me, like, at the start of the meeting and was like, talk to the council members. This isn't happening. We're getting rid of all of it. And I was just like, my jaw dropped. (laughs) I was like, oh, my goodness. They're just completely getting rid of it. And, like, I don't know how much of it is tied to, like, political aspirations of like council members and wanting to appease the residents. And I think that's where like Portola Valley has sort of stood out to me as a different place than Atherton and Woodside in that like the council members were like, we're going to fulfill this obligation. We don't really care. And so that's led to a lot of like conflict and just like, there's a lot of interpersonal conflict there too. Like they have their own um, social network and the moderator has had to like ban people Oh, wow. Okay. They call it PV oh. Forum. It's like, it's their version of like next door <laughs> Facebook and they will, yeah. And they will just, and people will insult each other on there and just, yeah, they're really rude. And especially a lot of it comes off um, or is directed toward like staff and like council members. And so, yeah, they've, Portola Valley council members were like, we're going to take a different approach. And like, yeah, it's sort of like this, <laughs> philosophical conversation a little bit too of like what's your job as a council member are you there to do what residents want or Mm. and like be their voice or are you there to also like do what you think is for the better good uh uh and also i guess that gets into the question of who who is the resident's voice right i mean you know we have a lot of studies about folks who are able to come to public meetings or, or participate in forums you know, not not the folks who have to work jobs all day, or folks who can't, you know, or don't have the wherewithal to hire people exactly. to yeah, on their behalf. They're right? teachers in town, like they teach in town, but like they can't afford to live in town. Do they deserve to have a voice on the council? I don't know. It's a question. Yeah. yeah. And Angela, you mentioned before uh, upzoning. Can you just remind our listeners, like, what that is? But more more specifically what that would have looked like um, when you mentioned how 
that just got taken off. Yeah. Yeah. So like lots that are zoned for single family housing would be able to be um, upzoned to to accommodate more housing, like townhouses. I think the Atherton mayor was basically like he had supported that. And then he was basically like, these are going to be super expensive townhouses. What's the point? Um, Yeah. It's interesting in Atherton, they have this term, the Atherton acre, because like the minimum lot size in town is um, like a little under an acre. So it's not like exactly an acre. It's like 0.9 or something like that. Yeah. Um, I actually had like a really interesting story a few months ago that uh, a lot of TV uh, reporters covered too, is they found like this car buried in the backyard in Atherton. And um, it's like, it was on like a $15 million house's lot because like these landscapers were doing work on the lot and they like started digging and they're like, wait, there's a car buried here. And the dog, yeah, there's dogs coming in and they're scenting human remains. And so like, so everyone starts researching, all the reporters start researching like who owned this house before. And this guy had like murdered a couple of people. Um, and so I asked like the police spokesperson, I was like, how did someone bury a car like three or four feet into the ground and no one noticed He's like, well, it's a backyard. Like, these lots are huge. Like, you could just get away with... Murder. Murder. (laughs) I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they weren't able to actually find, like, remains in the car. But, like, there was cement bags in there. And, like, who goes through the trouble of, like, burying a car in a yard? But anyway, it, like, sort of gives you an idea of, like, the scope of what, like, people who move to Atherton are used to. Like, a lot of privacy and, like... That's going to be a Netflix special. <laughs> I can see that being like the next, um, what is it, Murder House. Uh, we wanted to ask, how has it been for you personally to cover these issues? Um, I know from working at a local paper um, that readers can have really strong opinions. And from everything you just mentioned, it seems like you must have an especially tough crowd. Um. Yeah. I mean, normally people are pretty nice, like, because, like, it is so small scale, like, I know people. Right. But, yeah, there's been some, like, I don't want to use the word threatening. What word should I use? Uh, Wow. There's been some pretty passionate people, and they feel kind of like the newspaper has a you know a particular opinion themselves and we sort of have to explain like you know that's not really our job but yeah and yeah. I bet it can get especially personal because it is you see everyone face to face yeah I mean like in Portola Valley they were like Portola Valley should be covered by someone who lives in Portola Valley and it's like that's not really like a thing for wow. reporters like you have to remain objective too and like it probably helps that I don't live in Portola Valley because I don't have, uh, like, oh no, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can afford to live there. Um, but like, yeah, right. I, I don't have like a, it, it, the outcome of whatever happens doesn't affect me. So like I can cover it more objectively, I think. Right. And I am glad that people don't know where I live <laughs> because I don't own a house and I can't afford to. So <laughs> Because it's like my address is not online. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so we have one more question for you, um, and it's it, it's really important, probably the most important question that we're going to ask. Um, so we were wondering if you personally have ever seen a mountain lion in Woodside. I've seen pictures, like people have sent, the people post them like on Nextdoor and whatnot. Um, have I seen one? I've seen a lot of horses. I don't think, I've seen deer. <laughs> But I don't think I've seen a mountain lion in person. It's like, no. But next door comes pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Or he, someone, like, after it happened, like, texted me a photo of one next to a pool or something. So, like, <laughs> they are here. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I don't, yeah. Was so it in direct reference to, to the, the SB9 ordinance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, uh, someone, I can't remember if he worked in real estate or what, but like, he was like, Hey, like this is my mom's house or something. I'm like, here's, it's true. <laughs> here's mountain lion there. Yeah, no, it's true. I actually grew up in like the Hills, um, on the peninsula. So like sort of similar environment to Portola Valley and Woodside. And like, there were deer in our yard, like every single day. So like, that's actually a thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I don't think deer are endangered. Well, it's been so great to talk with you, Angela. I'm so glad to get the behind the scenes behind some of the stories that have really dominated the housing news cycle in California and even across the country. No, thank you for letting me talk about them. It's like really fun to like reflect on some of this work. Thank you for listening to Gimme Shelter. If you like us, please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you uh, find our episodes. This is, again, really important so that new people can discover our comedic stylings. Uh, we produce Gimme Shelter with Cal Matters audio editor, Mary Franklin Harvin, and our engineer is Victor Figueroa. Thank you so much, Mary Franklin and Victor. My name is Liam Dillon, and I write for the LA Times. You can find me on Twitter at Dylan Liam. And I'm Manuela Tobias from Cal Matters, and my Twitter handle is at Manuela Tobias M. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting us this year. <laughs>